You guys, when uh, my parents first started bringing me here to this church, I was three years old. And like I said, when I was a kid, the pastor here was a guy named Jim Regeer. And Pastor Jim was one of a kind. And like I've already shared today, he was instrumental in the formation of my faith, even as I was a young kid. I remember him getting down on his knee and pointing to my chest and asking me what God was doing in my heart. And he didn't just ask, he listened. He actually wanted to hear what I had to say as a young kid. And Jim has this remarkable ability to turn difficult situations into kingdom advancing opportunities. When I was a teenager uh, here at this church, we had a woman who would regularly uh, come to our services who was a street person. And she would often come to our church and intoxicated and be incredibly disruptive during the services uh, at all points, before, after, and in the middle. And there are lots, um, th th this, this happened quite regularly. And, and there was a time when Jim was preaching. He was up here on the stage, right where I'm standing now, and he's preaching. And she walked in very loudly, and very intoxicated, and she sat in the front row right here and started like, critiquing Jim's message in the middle of his preaching. Like she started like trying to correct him and stuff. And I know there are places where, you know, all the pastor would have to do is like that. And a like security team would come in and swoop that person out of the building. Do you know what I mean? Never to be seen again. But that's not what Jim did. Jim stopped preaching. He walked off the stage. He sat behind, beside this woman, held her hand, and talked to her in a volume that only she could hear. And he talked to her for 15 minutes while the rest of us sat here like dummies, not knowing what to do. Jim thrived in moments like that. There was another time when a, a young infant started crying really loudly uh, in the middle of his sermon. And the parents could not calm the baby down. And, uh, you know, what, he, what Jim did, he just walked down, he walked off the stage, he went over, he picked up their little baby, and by a miracle of God, the baby stopped crying, and he put the baby on his hip and preached the rest of his sermon holding this baby on his hip while he was preaching. His ability to thrive in difficult environments was a testament to his deep faith in God. And yesterday, I officiated a funeral for my best friend, uh, his sister. She passed away a month ago. Uh, my best friend and my pastor, the man I call my pastor, Mike Sosky, they live in St. Albert. And they invited me to officiate his sister's funeral. Yes, uh, sorry, my words are struggling to find them. He invited me to officiate his sister's funeral yesterday. And when Mike asked me and invited me to do that, the very first thing I thought to myself is, I'm not good at that. And those environments are not good for, I'm not, I'm not naturally compassionate enough to serve well in those sorts of environments. That's the sort of things that's quickly start going through my head. But of course I said, yes, I would do anything for Mike. I owe him so much. And so I said, yes. And one of the first things that I did when I got off the phone with Mike was call Jim Regeer because Jim thrives in environments like that. And I've seen Jim in action 
at funerals. And one of the things I was so impressed, he always had at these events, these funerals, he was always smiling. And he never once offered trite sayings that, you know, everyone says at funerals, like, I'm sorry for your loss, or they're in a better place now. He, he never, ever said one of those things you expect someone to say at a funeral, but he spoke life and joy and happiness. And so I, I've seen him in action, so I called him up. I said, Jim, what's your secret sauce? I need some of it this week. And so I sat uh, on the phone with him for about half an hour, and he walked me through how he has discovered to thrive in difficult circumstances. Some people have learned to thrive in hard places. And that's been this, the, the core message of this message series that we've been in this last month about Daniel. We've been looking at this guy, Daniel, who in the face of overwhelming odds and the most difficult circumstances, found a way not just to survive, but to thrive. Daniel's story starts when his home is besieged and destroyed by a foreign king named Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. And not only does Nebuchadnezzar destroy Daniel's home, but he destroys the temple. The, the, the center point of Daniel's faith is destroyed. And Daniel is one of many Jewish exiles that were kidnapped and taken into exile in a land far away from their home. And Daniel was ordered to do things that would have been very distasteful to him, things that were against his faith and his culture and his values. He's forced to learn other religions and, and partake in occult practices that ran opposite to his beliefs. And yet, in this foreign land where he didn't belong and didn't know, and it was in complete opposition to their values and their culture, Daniel found a way to thrive to earn the respect of his kidnappers, to gain influence among these people he so strongly disagreed with, and to grow in faith when it would have been easier for him to give up his faith. Daniel was a man who could thrive in hard places. And today we pick up Daniel's story in chapter 6, Daniel chapter 6. And at this point, uh, Daniel has been in Babylon for quite a while. Enough to have been uh, survived and, and served through the reign of three different kings. And the current king of Babylon was a man uh, named Darius. And, and King Darius was motivated. He was a man with a plan. And he was going to shake things up. It was his plan to replace all the high officers and all the people in charge, build a brand new hierarchy, and put one very powerful person in charge of the whole nation. Now, in Daniel 6.3, we discover who he chose for this prestigious position. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Somehow, Daniel, a Jewish exile, someone who had been kidnapped from his home as a teenager, found a way to earn the favor of the most important person in the land. In a hostile culture that would have been incredibly offensive to his sensibilities and his nature, Daniel found a way to endear himself to the people around him, to people he was nothing like and had very little in common. <laughs> 
Because the North American church has not followed in the traits of Daniel. And so many churches have ended up being known for what they're against and not what they are for. So many Christians disagree, who have create enemies of the people they disagree with. The people outside the four walls of their church become their enemies. And narratives like us versus them make their way into sermons every Sunday. In many ways, Christians have lost the benefit of the doubt, benefit of the doubt with the culture around us. There is an annual poll that is taken every year of the trustworthiness of certain professions consistently at the top of this poll every year, positions like nurses and teachers. And every year for the last 20 years, the position of pastor has fallen in trustworthiness year after year after year. We're losing influence with our neighbors. But here's the thing. Problem is, the world is not our enemy. It is not us versus them. Those who disagree with us the most are not our opponents. It's true. Jesus did say that the world would hate, many people would hate those who choose to follow him. But Jesus did not make it a goal for our world to hate us. He said it might happen. There's places where people will hate us for being Jesus followers, but that isn't an instruction to go out and be jerks to make people hate us. And he did say God, in John 3.16, it's a famous, God so loved the world. God loves the world. They are not his enemy. They are not our enemies. He loves humanity, every single one of us. If Daniel could find favor in the hostile land of Babylon, then Fort City, we can find favor with our neighbors too. We can love our neighbors with the self-giving love of Jesus. We can serve this city with the servant heart of Jesus. And we can let our good deeds shine before men and bring glory to God. You know, um, King Darius he recognized this characteristic, this trait in Daniel. And he promoted him to this powerful position in his kingdom, more powerful than anybody else uh, other than the king. And there were some high officers, some people who were already in charge, who were not impressed with this promotion that Daniel got. They felt that they had been overlooked. And so they conspired a plot against Daniel to have him lose his position. They went to King Darius, and they appealed to his ego. They whined and dined him, and they puffed up his ego with praise. And eventually, they, they began to, to, to weave this plan. And they said, King Darius, everybody loves you so much. We need people to love you even more. Why don't, for the next 30 days, you sign it into a law that everybody in the land, everybody in the kingdom who prays has to pray to you alone? I think that's a good idea, King Darius. And if they're caught praying to any other god or any other divine, divine uh, person, they will be thrown into the lion's den. And King Darius, his ears were tickled, and he was starting to like this idea of everyone praying to him. And so he signed this decree into law. Anybody caught praying to anybody other than King Darius would be thrown into the lion's den. 
And when Daniel heard about this new law, it no doubt distressed him. He was faithful. He prayed three times a day to his God. He would get down on his knees in his home and face Jerusalem, the city, that, the, the, the centerpiece of his faith, the city where he was kidnapped from. He would sit on his knees and pray towards Jerusalem three times a day, every single day since he had been kidnapped. And this is exactly what these high officers were counting on. Some of them waited just outside his home and peering in the windows at noon, knowing that he would be praying on his knees, they witnessed him break this law. And the next day, these men set their trap into motion. They went to King Darius and they said, remember that law we signed where everybody has to pray to you? And he said, yeah, I remember. Remember we said they've got to be thrown into the lion's pit if they're caught praying to anybody but you? And he's like, yeah, I remember. And they said, and you remember how in our kingdom, no decree signed by the king can be backed out on? And he's like, yeah, I know that's how it works. And they said, well, God, we got news for you, King Darius. Your man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. King Darius, that foreigner that you seem to like so much, he spits in your face. He doesn't follow your laws. You know what must be done. You know what you have to do. He must be put to death. He must be put in the lion's den. That's what the law says. And, and you guys, you, you probably know what this feels like, right? You probably know what it feels like to be sabotaged by somebody else. And sometimes we sabotage ourselves. Just last, this, this last spring, I was picking up my son Justice from school, and I pulled into the parking lot, and I looked out beside the car, and on the ground, right beside, outside my door, was a brand new set of AirPod Pros. And I don't have a set of AirPod Pros. And I looked at those lying on the ground, and the very first thing that went through my head was, well, those are mine now. Those are mine now. They weren't mine. Somebody else owned them. Somebody else had lost them. But this thing inside of me, this feeling, uh, this, this selfishness or this, this desire, it's stealing, right? It would be stealing. I looked down there and I thought, those are mine. There's something inside of me that has this inclination towards what is not good for me. We sabotage ourselves. We know that somewhere deep inside of us, there's this self-destructive self that draws us towards places and practices we know are not good for us. You know that even when you're doing your best to do good, to live a good and righteous life, there's a part of you that wants to go the other direction and do what it knows is not good for you. And you know there's people who are jealous of you. There's people out there who want to sabotage you, who would love nothing more than to see you fail. People who not only struggle to celebrate your wins, but celebrate your losses. And more than that, there is an enemy of our souls that conspires against us, an evil that only wants to steal from us. And Jesus said the thief came only to steal and to lie and to kill and to destroy and Paul taught that we were not just fighting against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against powers dark and against evil spirits in heavenly places. What can we do against such powers? How, how, do we, how can we survive this fight to do good and to, and to live righteous when there's so much 
is against us. How can we love our neighbors when there's this draw just to love ourselves and what matters to us? It wasn't looking good for Daniel in our story. Even though the king Darius had affection for Daniel, he did like him. His hands were tied, and there was nothing he could do to prevent what was about to happen to Daniel. And so because he broke the king's law by praying to his God, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den to be devoured by wild beasts. And as a stone was rolled in place and sealed by the king's ring, he called out to Daniel and said, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. In this moment, Daniel was powerless to save himself. The plans of his enemies had completely overwhelmed him. His fate was not in his own hands. His only hope was for the God who he so faithfully served to rescue him from the pit. Have you ever had a problem so big, circumstances so difficult, that you had to look up to heaven and say, God, I don't see a way out. I feel hopeless. I need you to rescue me. There's nothing I can do, no way out. I don't see it, God. If there is, you have to show me. In our story that night, King Darius didn't sleep a wink. He tossed and he turned. And we read in Daniel, in the story, oh gosh, I lost my place. Very early, we read, very early, the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. And when he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lion's And Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight. And I have not wronged you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den, and not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted his God. Not a scratch was found on him because he trusted his God. There are people who have learned to thrive in hard places. People who stand tall in the face of overwhelming odds. People who stand firm in the face of obstacles they don't think they can overcome themselves. People who survive the hardest circumstances because they put their trust in God. People like Jim Regeer. People like Daniel. People like you, people who choose to put their trust in God. In the summer, uh, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to close with a worship song in a moment. But let me tell you a story first. In the summer, uh, we went camping with Tim and Shauna Jenkins out at Gregoire Lake. And, uh, you know, I'm not much of a camper. Uh, I like my tent trailer and I like all the amenities it has. Tim's a little bit more rugged than I am. And we went camping with them. And uh, Tim uh, invited me and Justice on an early morning uh, canoe trip out into Gregoire Lake and eventually down Gregoire River. Now, like I rarely see 6 a.m. 
Uh, and Tim said we were leaving on the water at 6 a.m. And so I was like, oh, my goodness, Tim. All right. So we headed down to the lake at 6 a.m. And uh, he said it was just going to be a quick trip. Uh, that we were, were just going to go out down the river. The river would take us. It was going to be fine. We'd be back before lunch. It was, it was just going to be a quick, quick trip. Tim is a liar. He, he lied. It was not quick. It was not easy. It was six hours. And if Tim ever invites you to go on a quick, quick canoe trip, you can tell him, you're a liar. I know you're lying. It's not going to be quick. And at one point on the trip, we, uh, when we got on Gregoire River, that was, uh, we were floating down, um, we got to this point where there's some trees had fallen and we were blocking the river. And so we had to get out, carry our canoe. I was in the canoe with Tim and Justice, my son, was in his kayak. And we had to get out and portage around the blockage. I've always wanted to use portage in a sentence, you guys. And so we were able to portage around and uh, on the other side of this blockage was like some uh, like rapids. It got really rough uh, on the other side. And I'm thinking to myself, like, Justice is young and like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I start to get a little nervous about putting our boats back in the water. And uh, we get Justice in his kayak and we're on the edge of the water and I'm looking and it's like really kind of crazy. And I'm like, holy smokes, am I going to let my kid do this? And like, and before I can like answer that question internally, Tim pushes him into the river. <laughs> I think we do we have a video. Can we show a video of that? Uh, Justice was fine. Actually, he was better than fine. He had conquered something difficult, right? He had gained confidence and trust in himself and confidence and trust in Tim and confidence and trust in me. Guys, God didn't prevent the officers from conspiring against Daniel when he could have. God didn't prevent King Darius from making a law that was going to condemn Daniel, but he didn't. God could have prevented Daniel from ever having to go into the lion's den, but he didn't. And you can be sure and when Daniel found himself in the sealed den with lions that wanted to devour him, that God was right there with him. God doesn't always steer us around the valley of the shadow of death, but he always walks through that valley with us. God doesn't always stop us from going through things that cause us to suffer, but he promises to always suffer them with us. And people who thrive in hard places are just people who have learned to trust God when life gets hard. There is a way in which the story of Daniel very much mirrors the story of Jesus. Like Daniel, Jesus faithfully served his Father in heaven. And like Daniel, Jesus lived an exemplary life of righteousness and like Daniel, powerful people conspired to kill Jesus. And like Daniel, Jesus was placed in a dark tomb. And like Daniel, a stone was rolled in front of the entrance to keep Jesus in that tomb. And like Daniel, Jesus defeated death. And like Daniel, Jesus walked out of that tomb alive and well. It's in this story where we find the great Christian hope. 
hope found in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the creator of all things, the one who is at the beginning and will be at the end, the one who knows your name and the name of every person in all of time. The one who gave himself over to death, even death on a cross, and invited us to share in his resurrection life. You see, when Jesus walked out of the tomb, he shut the mouth of the lion that says, you are unlovable. And when Jesus walked out of that tomb, he shout, shut the mouth of the lion who says, you are not good enough. And when Jesus walked out of that tomb, he shut the mouth of the lion that tells you there is no hope. There is life and there's hope and there's love and there's future in the story that Jesus has for you. John said this, for every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe Jesus is a son of God. Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Do you trust him? Do you trust that Jesus will walk with you through every pit, every valley of the shadow of death you find yourself in? Do you believe it? In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to answer that question for yourself. And for some of us in the room, the question, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? We may have never answered that question for ourselves before. And today you have an opportunity to say, you know what? It's hard to believe. There are things in the stories of God in Scripture that are difficult for me to believe. There are things that I don't trust about the Bible yet. There are people, uh, religious people who have hurt me and made me feel bad before. There are all these circumstances around me that I should maybe run from this place in this moment. But the simplest of questions you can answer today that might change the trajectory of your life forever is do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Do you trust him to walk with you through your life, the good and the bad? If that's you, if you want to decide for the first time to say, I believe, then there's an opportunity for you today. We're going to play a song over on the side here. It's going to be our prayer team. If you want to give your life to Jesus for the very first time, they will help you craft those words into a prayer to God. You can go to them. And then there's those of us who have already made that decision to follow Jesus. Today, I want to encourage you to trust him fresh and new again to commit to this, this, this story of Jesus in your life. All of us have experienced trouble and harm. The, 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 if you are in this room and you think you are the only one who has this horrible thing happening in your life, be at ease. It's everywhere in this room. We are. Th this room is full of people who are going through hard things. You're not alone. And so today, I just want to encourage each and every one of us who have put our hope in Jesus to trust again, to trust him fresh and anew and say, Jesus, it is hard. My life doesn't always make sense. I wish sometimes you would steer me away from the lion's den. But Jesus, if I've got to be in the lion's den, I want you to be there with me. I trust you again, fresh and new. Don't leave this place without committing fresh and new to trusting Jesus in this way. Let me take a moment to pray for us and the band is just going to lead us in a kind of a closing song to help us give us an opportunity to respond to 
for what God is, is doing in our hearts in this moment. So let me pray for us and then we'll worship and, and pray together through this, this next song. So Jesus, I just thank you. Thank you that you love us. Like a father loves a kid. And then when we're on the riverbank and the rapids are ahead of us and it's scary and intimidating, it's a place we've never been before and we don't know if we can handle it on our own, that you stand there behind us and you speak life and truth into us. And you say, I will be with you wherever you go. And you push us out into the deep and you're with us. Jesus, I just ask that there would be faith, our faith would grow deep today in this place. And we respond to the invitation to trust you with even more of a heart and even more of our lives, even more of our family. And Jesus, we would face this world that is so confusing in so many ways with the, the, with the assurance that you walk with us. And that we wouldn't see our neighbors as the enemy, that we wouldn't see our city as us versus them, but that we would see this place as a place you have put us for such a time as this to love our neighbors, to make our neighborhoods better, and to be the living, walking, breathing presence of Jesus to all those around us. Thank you that you love us, Jesus. Pray this in your holiest of names, in the name of Jesus.